Blog Talk Radio. Good afternoon, everybody. We are back for another edition of Inside the Burger Shop. I am Ryan Berger, taking you through the next hour of a really fun conversation, uh, a really fantastic guest today. So we're excited to uh, be joined in a couple of minutes by the great Fred Wilson. Um, before we get started, it is amazing. August 3rd, the summer is flying by. It is really just incredible how fast the summer goes. Uh, thanks to Brian Getzeiler, who came on from Sirius NBA Radio on our last show to talk about NBA free agency and all the stuff going on uh, with Kevin Durant and the, the NBA uh, players getting ready left yesterday for Rio, staying on a ridiculous yacht instead of the Olympic Village. So that'll be interesting to see how if they could win every game by 50 or, or 55 points. And I think everybody is uh, sort of not sure of what the next step is with that dream team. Is, is, is Do we keep sending these pros or beating teams by 50 and 60 points? Uh, it's a little bit silly at, at this point. But uh, as big basketball fan as I am, as you know, uh, I'll be glued to all of those games. Um, we are looking forward to uh, continuing our podcast series. On Friday, we will be joined by the head of content and the ho- head of social media from Bleacher Report. So really excited about that show as well. Thanks to our sponsors, our uh, founding sponsor, Hyper. Hyper is the largest uh, database for celebrities and influencers in the world with over 10 million influencer profiles. You can check out more at hyperbrands, H-Y-P-R brands.com. And thanks to the crowd line for being a big part of the show. You can the crowdline.com. You can the crowd continues to tear it up in the CFL for week five of the CFL. The crowd was on the correct side in all four games. There are four games per week. You can play the week's contest by going to the crowdline.com. The first game is Thursday night. Predict the score, win prizes like Amazon gift cards and Starbucks cards and more. If you are a baseball fan, step into some of their baseball contests. This August is not a hot sports month the way months usually are when it comes to sports and the 
crowd, the folks at Crowds Line are gearing up for a big blowout. Free NFL competition is going to blow you away. Everybody gets ready for the NFL season in August. They get ready for their fantasy drafts. Heads over to the crowdsline.com. Make your prediction today and win free prizes. And before we bring Fred on, I, I quickly wanted to touch on one thing. Everybody knows the big New York show and a lot of sports. And, um, you know, the big the big talk in this week, besides the PGA being here, and I was at the first round, there was about 125 degrees, uh, balls flying all over the place and, and, and into the crowd and seeing some really incredible golf from Jimmy Walker uh, and Jason Day. But the big story here in New York right now is what's happened with the Yankees over the past uh, 10 days, trading Chapman, trading Miller, trading Beltran, Nova, and now they've gone from a team that had a horrific farm system to a team that has the best farm system in the in the league and a team that has a chance in a couple of years to really be special with all the dollars like A-Rod and Texera, CC coming off the books and adding in some of these young players. Uh, they've got a lot of big prospects. Uh, they've shed a tremendous amount of, of salary already and will continue to do that. It'll be interesting to see uh, what happens with the Yankees. The most interesting thing about it is the fact that Brian Cashman has been there so long. The team has been so loyal to him and to see him through another rebuilding uh, over a good two or three year period right now will be interesting to see if they continue to stay as loyal but he's done an incredible job in the past 10 days. He's got a lot of Yankee fans incredibly excited including me um, and it'll be interesting to see what happens uh, over the next couple of years with the Yanks and all of these uh, young and, and prospects that of course are prospects anything could happen. We've seen that with the Mets, and I know Fred roots for the Mets, and we'll talk to him in a second about the young pitching staff of the Mets and this has their window, you know, has their window closed. And, you know, the Inside the Burger Shop podcast is about intersection of sports, culture, technology, and more over the past year. And as one of the most successful uh, venture capitalists in the world and, and as a big-time sports fan in New York, a, a music lover, Fred has uh, companies that, that he has invested in that have really changed uh, what we have done in our lives, brands like Twitter and Tumblr, Kickstarter, SoundCloud, and Etsy, and more. His blog is a must-read for so many people, avc.com. It's as good as it gets. Um, He's been able to pick his brands. I'm not sure he's been able to pick his sports teams with just as much success. But, Fred, welcome to uh, Inside the Burger Shop. It's a pleasure to have you today. You're good at that. You, 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 you missed your calling. You should have been a talk show host. You are a talk show host. I, Maybe this is your calling. I know. <laughs> <laughs> I appreciate that. It's, uh, it's always been a passion of mine, and uh, I was uh, explored it a little bit getting out of school, but I uh, didn't take it as far as I really probably should have. But now with the world of podcasts and how easy it is, it's been a lot of fun, and it's, it's one of the most fun things that I, I really enjoy doing that. Yeah, it is a lot of fun. It really is. I'm actually looking forward to this conversation. Well, let's get started because there's uh, a lot to talk about. And uh, before we get into the business side of it, uh, this is a show, as I mentioned, at the intersection of so many areas. And uh, you, know, you, you are a, uh, obviously a great name, an incredible follow on Twitter at Fred Wilson. And whenever you and I interact, for the most part, over social media, a lot of it has to do with sports and 
uh, and New York sports in particular. So for someone who has been as smart and as, as, as you are, how did you end up sort of being such a big Mets, Jets, and Knicks fan? How did you get into that world? <laughs> well, so I'm an Army brat. I grew up um, – uh, my dad uh, is a career Army officer, retired general. Um, and so when you're an Army brat, you move a lot. I moved 15 times before I went to college. Um, and I never lived anywhere long enough to really develop the kind of fan, uh, the kind of the fandom that you would normally have as a kid. And so when I moved to New York when I was out of college, 21 years old, um, it seemed to me like I was going to live in New York uh, for a while, and I decided I should I should adopt the New York sports teams. And the truth is that I've always had a problem rooting for dynasties, um, and the Yankees have been probably the greatest dynasty of them all uh, in sports. And I just wasn't um, I just wasn't you know motivated to root for a team that was. Uh, you know, had been great and was great and probably would continue to be great in that way. So the Mets became the obvious choice. Um, and uh, same thing with the Jets and the Giants. Um, I, it was almost exact same kind of calculation. The Knicks is a different story. Um, when my dad retired from um, the military, uh, he and my mom moved back to Washington, D.C. and spent their, their retirement years there. And uh, my mom, before she married my dad in the early 50s, had worked for a few Jesuit priests at Georgetown University, and by the time she moved back to D.C., they were running the school, so she went to see them and said, hey, you know, um, I'm in my mid-late 50s, and I want to I get back to work, and, and they said, well, you know, John Thompson's got a job uh, opening as, a, as an assistant in the basketball office, and so she went there, and she was, you know, a receptionist assistant in the basketball office for a decade, and that that was the years of Pat Ewing and Alonzo Mourning and Dikembe Mutombo, and so I was a huge Pat Ewing fan, and when, when Pat got picked by the Knicks, that was it. That was the moment, and um, and I've been a Knicks fan ever since, and, and a Pat Ewing fan, too. Um, he's, he's exactly the kind of player that I just love. I remember in uh 85 when the uh when the draft happened and uh the Busher is sitting there and the card comes out the envelope and it says the Knicks and I was 8 and I remember sitting in my backyard growing up in New Jersey and my dad and I looking at each other and saying holy shit the Knicks are going to get Ewing the Knicks are going to get Ewing and obviously the next 15 years was just an incredible to have the big guy uh, in the garden and we haven't really recovered since that time but I want to get a little bit of sense from you as to what's going on with Ewing as far as potentially being a coach. You know, he's got incredible credentials. He has not gotten the chances that some had expected, specifically in New York where they've now hired two coaches um, and haven't really paid much attention to him. Will he ever get a shot at a head coaching job? I think he probably will, but I, 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 I'm not sure it's going to be in New York, certainly not in Phil Jackson's New York because – I don't think that Pat Pat is the is the kind of basketball mind that 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 Phil Jackson wants uh, running his team. And you know, I think it's more likely that somebody who's had the chance to to watch Pat on the bench more closely um, uh, will ultimately give him that shot. Um, and I think he's a different kind of coach. You know, he's uh, uh, I think he's 
you know, more of a player coach and a little bit less of a, of a, um, you know, a, I don't know. I don't know how to exactly describe what Phil Jackson wants, but, you know, his obsession with the triangle and, and all that, you know, I'm not sure, you know, you know, Phil seems like he's kind of dogmatic and, and Pat strikes me as he's a lot more pragmatic. Mm. Yeah, no question. And, you know, it's been rare that a big seven-footer is on the sidelines as a head coach. It's sort of a different kind of a look, but one that which uh, Has it ever I hope. I guess, I guess, I, you know, Russell, I think right? with Russell, right? I think Russell was the only one I had really been able to think about. Um, I'm sure there's a couple more, um, I think, uh, a couple in the 80s that were more player coaches, Shree uh, Rollins and stuff of those guys. But, you know, Phil's a pretty Walton big guy, coached. but I don't think. Who's that? Walton? No, never Walton coached. never coached. No, Walton never coached. Um, but McHale coached. Uh, right. for a number of years recently. So I think there's been a couple of guys, you know, like that. But uh, um, it'll be interesting to see what happens. With, so give us your thoughts on what, what what happened this summer with some of the Knicks moves. You know, obviously you're a longtime season ticket holder. Um, uh, we all pay a lot of money for these seats, and we have not seen the kind of product that – that uh, that warrants the kind of dollars that it takes to get inside the garden for for these games and um, a bunch of moves happened this summer that Phil made. It feels like we're back into some you know, top four, top five in the East. Some interesting competition and some decent moves, at least uh, in certain areas. Give us your thoughts on the addition of Rose and, and Noah and, and and some of the other guys that uh, Phil has brought in to surround Carmelo with. Well, actually, I think maybe the best move of the summer is the is the is the choice of Jeff Hornacek. I mean, you know, we we're just talking about how I love Pat Ewing, and and I wish that maybe he could get a shot in New York. But I actually think Hornacek's a good choice, and um, and you know, not a guy trying to figure out how to be a coach for the first time in, in his career, um, you know, in, in Derek Fisher, and so I think that. That that's that's a, a good sign. It seems like he's he's already investing a lot of energy in developing the right relationship with the players, and seems to have taken a particular interest in Porzingis, which is obviously important because he's kind of the future of the franchise. And and you know I think if Rose uh, can stay healthy and if if Noah can stay healthy, um, then you know I think we will be a, a playoff team. Um, but you know those guys are both, uh, you know. They're risks, right? They're 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 both risks in terms of uh, in terms of um, you know how durable they are. Very injury prone. Um, we had a guy on last show talking about, it and I said, "What do you expect in October?" And it's is not it's about what you expect in October. It's that you, what you expect in in February and March, and you hope that those guys are able to stay on the field and stay on the court. And you know, we we in in three and a half weeks, the Jets. Our other favorite team hosts uh, the Cincinnati Bengals, and the big news, obviously, uh, is the emergence or the appearance of Ryan Fitzpatrick, uh, a career journeyman who's uh, found a home or at least a temporary home in in New York, and it looked like it wasn't going to happen, and we were going to be doing a lot of tweeting about Geno Smith in the month of September, but it looks like Fitz is back. Um, Season starts in three and a half weeks. I'm sure you're excited. I'm excited. I've been out to the practice uh, facility a couple times meeting with the team. What's your thoughts on what uh, what you expect from the Jets, 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 Jets this fall? 
it looks a lot like last year's team, right? I mean, you know, there have been some changes, obviously, but, you know, it, 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 it seems like they have kept a lot of the pieces together. Do you agree with that? Yeah, I mean, I think the addition of Forte is a nice addition, I guess, to replace the by Ivory in the backfield. They brought in the big kid from Denver, Ryan Clady, to uh, be on the line. He was the best lineman the uh, the Broncos had. And then I guess, obviously, the, the long-term uh, commitment to Wilkerson. Um, I was hoping they would sort of get some speed on defense. They brought in the first-round pick, who's the linebacker uh, from Ohio State, which I'm hoping will – increase their speed a little bit, but the the fear that I have with the Jets this year is their schedule. It is just really, really challenging. Uh, they they play the Steelers and the Ravens and the Seahawks and that whole West Coast division that's far, far flights out to San Francisco and Seattle. So, um, you know, last year I thought they were really a surprise, but they also played a really soft schedule. I'm a little bit concerned on the schedule this season. Yeah, I'm not. To be honest, I'm not expecting much more than last season, right? You know, um, you know, maybe we'll sneak into the playoffs, or maybe we won't. We had a shot last year. Um, I, I, I think we'll be better than we were in the last couple of years of of the Rex Ryan era. But I, you know, honestly, I, I think there are better teams out there than the Jets. Yeah. No, I know, and football is crazy. It's a week each weekend. It's a different uh, experience. So, looking forward to kick off in in a couple of weeks, and uh, looking forward you know, to like seeing it, how it all shakes out. I, I like I like this this version of the Jets. They were fun to watch last year. Um, you know, we got the passing game going. We got some good receivers, um, and Fitz knows how to get them the ball. And and you know. That that was fun. I mean, I, I I'll watch 16 games again uh, for that. No question. I think he's a fun coach. I think he understands what you know the modern day game. One of which is getting to the quarterback. You gotta. It's so hard, even with a guy like Revis, to to shut down guys with the way the rules are. So now, when you have the kinds of Revis isn't what he like used to be. Have. I mean, the truth he's is, not, Revis no, has yeah, no question. <laughs> I mean, he was for a couple years there. You couldn't, you couldn't, you couldn't get a get a completion in on him. It's not, it's not that way anymore. He's good, but he's not that good. No question. Which is why it's even more important to have the ability to rush the passer and and their defensive line and and all the ingredients that make up uh, the team. And you know, sports is so similar and uh, to technology and and great brands. When you think about ingredients that uh, make up a great brand or or ingredients that make up a great sports team, and you've been uh, sort of the Phil Jackson when it comes before to being sports, able to before we leave sports, I want to ask you one question. <laughs> Do you, you think it. a team can have too much talent? Let's say basketball, because I'm, I'm specifically interested in the Warriors. Do you think a team can have too much talent? Well, I think in the Warriors' case, they have fantastic shooters, and they are very, very unselfish. And when you take guys like Curry and Draymond Green, I mean, even though Curry is such an incredible shooter, you know, the, the, he's also a point guard. So the way those guys distribute the ball and the way that team specifically plays, I don't see it being a challenge as far as too much talent. A lot of times what that ends up really meaning is there's too much ball. There's not enough ball to go around to each guy. 
guy. I think what's going to happen in Golden State is you're going to see games where a guy like Durant scores 13 points, and then he might have 35. It's not. It's almost more like a dream team in that kind of a sense. I do think there are bad mixes and bad chemistry on in basketball teams where you get the wrong players together who are unbelievably talented, but you put the wrong players together, and I think sometimes there's a problem and personalities and chemistry. Well, like Amari and, and Mello, right? Amari and Mello is a perfect a great example of that. They never really perfect example. Perfect example, and, and, and they were gelling before Carmelo came with D'Antoni and some of the moves, and then Melo came, and he's a, he's a ball stopper, and he's not the kind of guy who um, I've ever thought you could really win big with. So I think there are sometimes issues. I, I'm not believing that that's going to be the case in Golden State. Uh, I think the bigger case with Golden State is do they have enough inside um, to – beat the kinds of teams, specifically Cleveland, because that's the only team that would challenge them, that can handle their, their bigs inside and how big LeBron is and some of those other guys. But, uh, but it's a great question, and I guess we'll find out the answer come June. Exactly. All right, you were going to Tech, so let's go to Tech. Yeah, so what I was mentioning is, you know, ingredients are just so important, and obviously you've been an unbelievable uh, uh, ability to, to to pick the right kinds of companies that um, that obviously have become huge in culture and huge in people's lives. I guess my, my first question to you around that is, what's what's the secret to doing that? What do you look at when you look at the kinds of companies that you've been able to invest in at such an early stage and say, this is the kind of company that I want to get uh, my company and me personally behind? I mean, what do you see? What are those special ingredients that take a tech company from a startup idea to being some of the best, biggest companies in the world? Well, I think the truth is if you really look at, at, at our track record and, and my track record, um, I think what you would really see is that we don't often pick the best company in a sector. Um, but what we do really well is we get to a sector early and we, we get to uh, – and we, we do get to, you know, one of the best companies in the sector. Um, look, we, we back Twitter and Tumblr, not Facebook, right? We backed, uh, you know – Zynga, you know, not, you know, Rovio or, you know, one of the other big mobile game companies. We backed, um, uh, you know, um, think, trying to think about maybe another example like that, uh, where, you know, we were right about the sector and we were right about, um, you know, the companies we invested in, but we didn't, we didn't pick, you know, the, the gangbusters company in the category, um, so I think I think that's probably true in a in a few other sectors as well. So, um, uh, you know, we back to Kick, for example, in the mobile messaging category, which is a, a big brand and has 40 yeah. million monthly active users, but it's not WhatsApp, right? So, so I think what we're good at is figuring out where the next big breakouts are going to come from. Um, we're not as good at picking the company that's going to be the dominant company in the category, and, I, and that, that's just that's just being very, I think, critical of ourselves. Um, it's not. <laughs> look, you know, don't cry for us. We've done well with that. You know, uh, we've made a lot of money. We made a lot of money for our investors, and so uh, I'm proud of it. But you know, to be honest, you know, we. I think what that means is that we might be better at understanding emerging markets and emerging technologies and emerging uh, kind of uh, openings 
that companies can can come into the market through than we are picking the the best entrepreneurs. It's interesting. It really is because so many times people talk about investing in people. And again, we're talking to uh, Fred Wilson. You can follow Fred on Twitter at Fred Wilson. And we know from the hyper data that Fred has a really interesting audience. His audience is interested in business and finance and technology and innovation. And is split from a gender prospect, 73% of your followers, Fred, across Instagram and Twitter are, in, are men. And 27% are women, which isn't a big surprise, but I think something really interesting to take away from your social audience that uh, we find here from Hyper is your biggest audience is actually people 12 to 18. 30% of your social media audience is actually ages 12 to 18, followed by 20% at 19 to 25, which means obviously that young people are so fascinated with young new technologies and so fascinated with the kinds of uh, investment and success that you guys have been able to have in those areas and you know these these are companies that you've been able to invest in as someone who obviously isn't a kid but you are able to invest in companies where young people adopt and young people use every day and now I want to get your thoughts on what you've uh, what 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 I saw last night which was the new Instagram stories and Instagram trying to now go up competitively against uh, Snapchat now what is your thoughts on on those two companies um, uh, both obviously you know Snapchat on their own and, and Instagram owned by Facebook. Well, Facebook is following the Google strategy of uh, competing with everybody, everywhere, all the time. You know, and they see something out there that's working, they're going to copy it. They're going to knock it off. And Microsoft did that before Google and Facebook did it. That's the classic. You know, I'm, I get to be a big company. I've got a gazillion engineers. I got more money than I know what to do with. And every time I see a good idea, I'm going to knock it off. Um, and you know, that's 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 a good strategy. I mean, honestly, you know, but. But there is something about, you know, a guy like an Evan Spiegel who thought of all this shit, right? Like, he figured it out, you know? He didn't copy any of this stuff, right? And he's evolved that product, you know, from, you know, a sexting app, you know, to, you know, a social app that teens got crazy for, to Snapchat stories, and then the filters and all the fun that, that that people can do on that. And sure, Instagram can copy that. They are copying a lot of that. But I, what they can't copy is his next move. And, you know, it, the thing that I kind of feel is these big tech juggernaut companies, whether it's Google or Microsoft or, or Facebook, when, once they get into this mode of, like, we're just going to copy every good thing that we see out there, it kind of corrupts their creativity in a way. Um, and... You know, I, I think these, these entrepreneurs who are, who are figuring out this stuff on their own and making it up and creating this stuff for the first time, to me, is more inspiring than, you know, watching Facebook basically try to evolve Instagram to be more, a, more of a direct competitor to Snapchat. I'm sure that's going to be a good strategy for them. I'm not saying it's a bad strategy. I'm sure it's the right strategy, um, but it doesn't inspire me. What does inspire you when you think about sort of a couple of companies that are out there and, and who's going to be sort of winning over the next couple of years? And it sounds to me like the more independent, more creative companies, at least, versus the big behemoths or stuff that you're more intrigued by. Who are some of the companies that we should keep an eye on over the next couple of years in the, in the, in the, tech, uh, in the tech space? 
Well, I'll give you an example. We have a company in our portfolio called YouNow. Um, YouNow created the whole broadcast yourself category about four or five years ago when they launched. Um, and, um, you know, they've been copied by Periscope and Meerkat and Facebook Live. And, you know, obviously YouTube is trying to add live capability as well. But there's something about YouNow that, you know, keeps the teens on, on the YouNow platform. You know, they haven't left for Periscope. They haven't left for, for Facebook Live. And I think it's because they figured out how to make that a safe place. And the, the problem with, you know, broadcasting your life uh, is it's, it, can be, it can be a little dangerous for kids to be doing that, right? There's bad people out there and trolling and doing other, you know, uncool shit. And, you know, I'm not saying that you now will always be a safe place because, you know, things could change. But right now they have almost none of that activity going on. They've, they've been able to, to, you know, keep, keep bad people out of the system. And, and when, when bad people appear, they've been able to shut them down. And this is something that Twitter, frankly, has had trouble with, right? One of the negatives on Twitter yeah. is, is the amount of trolling and abuse that goes on there. And, you know, it's a problem with these big social platforms. Uh, uh, it's just hard to stop, you know, bad people from doing bad things. And so I really like what the YouNow people are doing. And, and this summer, it, you know, it, it's, it's just exploded in terms of popularity. It, it, it went from, like, a number... 30 social app to like a number top, top 10 social app uh, in the in the past few weeks. Um, I don't actually know why that is, but obviously something's happening. And this isn't the first time. I mean, this is like I said, this has been an app that's been around for four years, and it's been in the top 10 a number of times. You know, it's, these, these these social apps are weird. You know, they 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 kind of they things happen in waves with them. There was a period when Snapchat was a little bit kind of you know, stalled out, and then they, they came up with the whole filters thing, and all of a sudden it's just become a monster again. So I don't really know exactly how to think about these things long term, but I really like what YouNow is doing right now, and, and, um, and the kind of broadcasting, the kind of creativity that's happening on the YouNow platform, you know, uh, kids are, you know, instead of like, you know, doing you know, concerts in the in the local you know you know bars and clubs. They're doing them right on you now, and and you know, tens of thousands of kids are tuning in. So it's it's pretty cool. I, I like what they're doing a lot. That sounds incredibly cool. And again, we're talking to the great Fred Wilson. You can follow Fred on Twitter and Instagram at Fred Wilson. Fred has over five hundred and fifty thousand. Uh, followers on Twitter from Hyper, and we know he's getting about 15 to 20 retweets uh, for every one of his brilliant tweets. And um, you, know, you, you mentioned you now as a, as a company that you, you, you keeping an eye on, and, and they're obviously doing really well in the in the in the broadcast um, the broadcast space. And I spent the day at Twitter a couple of weeks ago out in San Francisco, and with the Players Tribune, there was a lot of talk about you know fan engagement and really the area in between tech and sports, you know, where uh, sports teams are using technology more than ever before. Uh, it was guys from Sprinkler got up and did a really good presentation on how to activate social uh, in arena and how teams are doing it so much more. And you know, and I, I, I at the end, and, and they gave 
really fun, interesting examples. And at the end of the thing, I raised my hand and I said, this is a really tough question for me because on the one hand, I love tech and I love what social has done for sports. But on the other hand, the only thing I don't like is I actually think it's starting to creep into affecting the product on the floor, meaning that when a guy's taking a foul shot, which used to be 18,000 people in the garden booing, now maybe 2,000 are booing and the other 16,000 are staring at their phone on Instagram or, or Snapchat and that more and more fans when you go to games pretty much are staring at their phones to the point where companies of obviously and apps and all kinds of new technologies have come out to answer that. If you're going to stare at your phone the whole time, well, here's the kinds of things that we can do with the team to help you be rewarded, to help you stay engaged. But there's that fine balance between providing tech and social ideas, but at the same time, making sure that it doesn't actually affect the product that we're seeing on the floor. You know, you see it at the Yankee games with you know people going to food the whole time and taking pictures and doing stuff. And, and almost some of the times you go to the games, the last thing is the actual game itself. Now, what's your thoughts on that and keeping a balance between making sure that we continue to evolve technology-wise, but at the same time making sure that at the end of the day you're a fan of the team and that you don't cheer when you know your team's down 30, but they make that basket so that everybody gets a free taco that night. Well, look, I mean, when the team's down 30, I'm probably headed for the door, to be honest. But, <laughs> um, but you know, look, I think there are some games, uh, hockey comes to mind, soccer comes to mind, where they're just going full out, you know, and then they take a break, right? You know, and then they go full out, and then the game's over. And hockey, you know, you get two breaks. But, you know, in some ways, those sports are better suited, you know, to the live experience, you know, given all the interruptions. Um, and you go to a football game now, and the freaking TV timeouts are horrible. Oh, it's, it's forever. Hard to it take. is forever. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, I think that the, what the league's got to think about is, you know, th there's something competing for these people's attention while they're sitting in the stadium or in the arena. And they got, they, I think they've got to continue to evolve these games. Now, I don't know about basketball, right, because if someone gets fouled, you've got you to gotta penalize them, and a foul shot's the right, it, I think is the right answer. So I don't know what you do about that. But, um, uh, you know, you know it, baseball's, I mean, baseball's a real problem. I mean, the game is just so goddamn slow, and all the pitching changes and trips to the mound and, uh, it's stepping out of the batter's I mean, box. It's, it's, no, it's, hard. it's, it's incredible. <laughs> I mean, I like, to go to, incredible. I like to go to baseball, but, you know, I treat a baseball game as a social experience. You know, like when I play golf, for example, I'm going to go out, I'm going to play golf, I'm going to be out on the course for three hours or three and a half hours or four hours, and, yeah, I'm out there to compete and I'm out there to hit shots and make putts, but I'm also out there to chit-chat with my friends and kind of you know, kind of catch up with them, What you know, if I have a regular Sunday foursome, what happened this week, what's going on in your life, how's your family, how's your business, da 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 da, da. And a baseball game to me is a little bit like that. Like, it's, there's so much downtime that if you're not with a couple of friends drinking beers, you know, you know, eating a hot dog or whatever, like, it's a tough, it, it's, hard to, it's hard to be intensely interested in a baseball game for nine innings, and for me anyway. Whereas, you know, basketball, I, I have an easier time doing it, and and hockey and soccer have an even easier time doing it. So I think the leagues have got to think a little bit about the product, too, 
and try to continue to evolve it and make it more interesting. You know, basketball, they added the three-point line. They added the shot clock. You know, they've, they've evolved the game over time. Maybe they can continue to do that. Yeah, no, and it's, it's those are the kinds of on-the-floor things that intrigue me. It's the off-the-floor things, like, you know, you go to the Garden and the Knicks are down 25, and I'm sitting there bummed. You know, maybe they can make a comeback in the middle of the third quarter, and everybody else is standing up because they're shooting free T-shirts that doesn't fit anybody in the crowd anyhow. And since tickets are $700 a piece. I, I hate yeah, all that. Tickets but a lot are $700 of that is a piece. They don't need free tickets, free T-shirts. <laughs> Yeah, but a lot of that is because of the tele- television advertising. They got to take all those commercial breaks, and they got to be long. I know, and they got to fill it with, with 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 stuff. So it's it's such an interesting area right now, and and the whole area of sports and and technology is you know has exploded. And you know, you have the blog uh, avc.com, which you know obviously does an incredible uh, eyeballs and and things like blogs and podcasts, like we're talking now, of obviously things that are you know fairly new. Blogs have been around uh, you know for a lot longer, um, but this whole idea of broadcasting yourself and being part of it, you you know. The other side of it with sports is we see this, and I mentioned this at the, at the conference. The thing that's taken over sports arenas over the past couple of years has actually been the big screen, meaning you do every. These people do everything they can to end up on the big screen, whether it's at Cowboy Stadium or a Garden, and they get on and they think it's the greatest thing ever, and they have somebody set up to take a picture, but they don't even know anybody else in the audience. So it's like they're doing everything they can to get on this big screen through every commercial break through downtime through game period but there's not even it's not like you the stadium is even filled with people who know who you are so there's so many elements to where sports is today and how it's changing and how people are being able to connect at the game but you know one of the biggest challenges is the wi-fi in these stadiums and arenas still isn't up to the par of where it needs to be yeah well i think they'll get that right i think that's just a matter of making the investment the technology is definitely there now to have access points that can support, you know, thousands or tens of thousands of concurrent users. I mean, that has been that has been a challenge, but I think the technology is has really come around and and the and the and the the teams and the arenas and the stadiums, they need to just make those investments and I do think that they will do that. Um but I do I I do think that you're right about um some of the other parts of the 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 live ex, live sports experience being kind of shitty i certainly feel that way and i think i think it could be better um you know and and uh i I don't have i don't i haven't thought enough about it to really have some ideas i think you know technology can be maybe uh uh, some help but i think some of it is just good old-fashioned you know knowing how to you know give people a good time and and i do think that connecting other people um you know it's not a surprise that some of the most exciting stuff is when they bring fans down onto the court you know and have them do something right you know try to hit a a a shot from center court or something like that and everybody's rooting for the the fans to do it like you know that that that's where the fan gets to be part of the experience and i think that's good and so maybe more of that as opposed to just getting on the big screen i don't know i i I haven't thought enough about that but i think you you put your finger on a good problem no question. Uh, it's, a, it's a big issue, and live sports versus how great the sports experience is at home, it's, it's, it's a big issue, and every league is dealing with it. I, I, it's funny, I actually have uh, 
Byron Munich is a client, and we did a big dinner for them last night with their ownership and their American tour of, of soccer, which I have never been a huge soccer guy, and they're playing tonight, and I'm going to take my son and his friends to my first live big soccer game, International Champions Cup against Real Madrid at, at MetLife tonight, and I'm interested to see what is that experience. I've heard so much great things about these live soccer games, sold-out stadiums, people going you know, really, really crazy in Europe, and now you know, it's seeping in over here. It'll be interesting to see if soccer, a uh, European sport, um, and, and if it can start to take off here. It just feels like it keeps starting and then stalling and starting and stalling, but it's a game that there's not a lot of scoring in a, in a, in a culture where it feels like we need a lot of scoring to keep people interested uh, in these sort of uh, sports. Uh, yeah, well, first of all, I think that, you know, um, uh, the the whole, you know, Latin American, you know, immigrant population here in the U.S. has been been a big help to getting soccer to have a real sustained fan base here in the U.S. and and um, and you're right, it's a different sport, right? It's 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 you know, it's a more subtle sport in many ways. You know, the the passing and the tackling and 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 the stuff that you know kind of happens, um, you know. Uh, you know, most of the time out on the field versus, you know, the occasional goal, uh, a, a real soccer fan will, will understand how important that stuff is and, and really appreciate it. Whereas, in a, you know, it's kind of like I went to a cricket match in, in I think it was Australia, uh, and I didn't know what the hell was going on. It wasn't very fun, you know, so... <laughs> <laughs> that, that sounds uh, that sounds interesting. Hopefully, you, didn't, you ran into Della Vadova and Andrew Bogut in that Australian uh, cricket cricket match. Uh, and we're, again, we're talking to the great Fred Wilson. Fred, this has been really phenomenal. And before we let you go, I want to quickly ask you. Um, uh, you know, you've invested in some unbelievable brands that have obviously, you know, changed culture and changed certain categories. Do you have any one favorite investment story? Any anything that comes to mind of something that sort of light bulb came on and said, "I got to do this," or some sort of funny or or interesting story that might make might make some people laugh in the sense of 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 how you invested in one of these companies or a story about one of them that you know really is is interesting. Well, I got so many of them, but it's hard for me to think of one that's sort of like, you know, uh, particularly more interesting than any other one. Um, you know, I, I will I will say that the Twitter investment happened sort of accidentally. I went to uh, visit an entrepreneur in San Francisco, uh, I guess it was back in 2006, and he was, his company was sharing space with Twitter, and you know, I went to meet with him, and you know, he pitched me on his company. And then I was, as I was leaving, I'm like, "What's going on here?" And he goes, "Oh, this is company Twitter. It's really taking off." And I just started using the product. And I don't know. I just kind of like, I just had this like kind of instinct as I was leaving the thing. I'm like, I met with the wrong company. <laughs> and I, uh, you know, in this office, I met with the wrong company. And I, uh, I sort of made a note to myself to to get in touch with with Jack and Ev and and come back and see them and talk to them about Twitter. So. So that you know, that's kind of like, I don't know. That kind of was like a little bit of a lucky break in a way for me. That it just had this, you know, feeling as I was leaving the office that like you know I I had met with the wrong company and I needed to fix that. And and that led to me reaching out to them at exactly the right time. They were thinking about uh, taking some capital, and one thing led to another. We made the investment. So 
I, I do believe in luck. I guess it's I guess it's a good way to maybe kind of wrap this thing up. I, I really believe in luck. I, I I I don't I don't want to say that everybody's success is luck because clearly it isn't. It's a lot of hard work, and that's true in sports, and it's true in tech, and it's true in you know uh, all the other fields too. Um, but I do think that there are these moments that come along, uh, and you know having that kind of instinct uh, to follow a gut feel and, you know, sometimes things land in, in your lap and and the art is really seeing them and knowing that, you know, you just got a lucky break and it's and you gotta and you gotta seize it. It's kinda like, you know, you know, a quarterback throws the ball a little wobbly and you're the you're the linebacker or the the cornerback you gotta grab that because it's only gonna happen once or twice a game. You gotta grab it and run it back for a touchdown, right? And that's kinda what, you know, Twitter was for me. I was like, "Fuck! I got to invest in this company," and and I and I went and did it. And how much are you? I guess last question is how much? How involved are you once you invest? Like you invest in Twitter, or do they obviously they run you know, certain things by you and numbers, et cetera? But are you involved in the strategy? I actually had a really interesting call with Snapchat yesterday and was listening to their uh, their strategy and how they're thinking of rolling out, working with influencers and stuff over the next couple of months. But what what do you? Are you involved in the everyday strategy? Do, how, how much are you and Union Square involved in uh, the process once you actually make the investment? Well, we're very involved if the company's young. And we got involved with Twitter when it was like 10 people, and we were very involved for the first. We invested in 2007, so during 2007, 2008, 2009, very involved. And then, you know, um, we took more rounds of capital, more people got involved, people who were, you know, there in San Francisco versus me in New York, and, and I kind of uh, got a little bit less involved, um, not 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 for any reason other than, you know, it just made sense, you know, that there were other people around the company who could who, who could help more than I did, and so I got a little bit less involved, and then eventually I stepped off the board entirely, I think it was 2011, and at this point, I'm not uh, really involved at all. So, um, you know, it, it changes over time. But early on in a company's life, we're really, really involved in strategy and thinking about who to bring onto the team. Uh, you know, uh, how to build a revenue model, how to scale it. Um, you know, how to finance the company. If we should sell, if we should not sell. All those kinds of decisions, you know, we're 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 really really involved in them. And then, you know, the company grows up and and they you know become a public company and and you know they get a different group of people around them and then we move on to the next thing. Um, and that's 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 how we do it. That's that's incredible. Well, look, Fred, I, I can't thank you enough for spending 30 minutes with with us this afternoon. It's incredibly interesting all the stuff you've been up to. Congrats on on all the success. And I'm looking forward to. Uh, maybe spending uh, those three and a half hours with you in August and standing on some greens and watching my dad make a bunch of pots while I three-pot uh, every green. He sure can putt it. I don't know. He has this way of kind of standing like sideways while he's hitting the putt. I tried that a few times. It didn't work for me. Yeah, I think it's the 1984 putter that he uses. Uh, the, <laughs> the, the, the old 1984 ping putter, which uh, he uses. So it's, uh, it is amazing to watch. But uh, looking forward to it. Enjoy the rest of the summer, Fred. I, I appreciate the time, and we'll have you on in, uh, in the fall. Let's go Jets. Okay, great. Yeah, go Jets. Talk to you later. Thanks, Fred. Bye.
That's that's the great Fred Wilson. Um, you can follow Fred on Twitter at Fred Wilson, and he's uh, just an incredible career and incredible uh, success, and really uh, the, the the great investor uh, and VC capitalist of our time, and you know such an incredibly uh, uh, influential uh, individual when it comes to both investment and and, and uh, his blog, and really a, a must read at avc.com. So I, I encourage everybody listening today to to, to read uh, Fred's uh, blog and and to follow Fred on Twitter uh, at Fred Wilson. Um, and of course, we, we before we let everybody go, and of course, you can subscribe to the show on inside the for inside the burger shop by searching it on iTunes. Um, is really the the whole idea of what is hyper bringing to the show, and looking at the uh, the hyper heat index, uh, the hyper heat report, and we're just trying to pull up um, the hyper heat report today. And the hyperheat report looks like it's down today, so we apologize for that. Uh, we were going to look at three soccer stars in uh, in the world of soccer today, and that was uh, due to the game that we're doing tonight with uh, with Bayern Munich and what the individual players look like. And we we're going to look at three soccer stars um, in the hyperheat report, but unfortunately, uh, we are unable to access that due to technology issues today, so we will uh, pass on that and give you that next week. Um, in the meantime, it'll be a, uh, a fun evening tonight with, um, with Bayern Munich and uh, against Real Madrid over in Giant Stadium, which is now MetLife. Uh, looking forward to a lot of that and a lot of big soccer. Thank you so much to Hyper today for all the great data. Thank you to um, the CrowdsLine. Head over to thecrowdsline.com, make your prediction uh, today, and win free prizes, cool prizes like Amazon, Starbucks, and more. It's free to play. Head over to the CrowdsLine. And I didn't mention our, our, our latest sponsor uh, earlier in the show because we had Fred on, but I probably should have. And uh, if you head over to PETA Express, 15 Ann Street downtown, tell them that you listen to Inside the Burger Shop. PETA Express, the leader in PETA and Mediterranean food in New York City. Head down, mention that you listen to Inside the Burger Shop, Ryan Burger sent you. See the guy, Billy Kotler down there, and get yourself a free pita, free appetizer with anything you're ordering, the Pita Express, 15 Ann Street, downtown New York City. Thanks to everybody for a really great show today. Thanks to Union Square Ventures and Fred Wilson for coming on the show and spending a great 30, 35 minutes with us talking technology, talking sports. Really can't appreciate it enough. Thanks to Fred for, for spending some time on, on this Wednesday with us. We're back Friday with the head of social media and the head of content of Bleacher Report, really an interesting company who has uh, built an empire and is taking on the big boys of ESPN and Fox Sports 1 when it comes to, uh, when it comes to sports and, 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 and content. So thanks to everybody. Download the show. Subscribe inside the Burger Shop. Appreciate everybody hanging out today. As my man Mad Dog Russo likes to say, adios. Shop.
hip-hop podcast, the one that you heard about, talking sports media, buzz and the word of mouth, social is the currency, seeing what the buzz will be, talking sports and culture, you never know what'll be coming next, cause that's the type of podcast you listen to, powered by the hyper, brands, who the man, yo, Ryan at the forefront, got it on my iTunes, walking through the storefront, listen to the broadcast, he touches almost anything, sports, culture, media, technology, and marketing, so listen to the man right ahead of his time, on your podcast, you can download or listen live, so here comes the podcast, here comes your host, the Burger Shop, now live from coast to coast, in any way you want to do it, listen to the show, Ryan got the insights, the Burger Shop, you know, Burger Shop. 